Welcome back to Rusted Junk, the 80s movies podcast. Do you find yourself wanting to put on a corked hat, fight crocodiles in the outback and then move to New York? How about befriending an alien by dressing him up as a ghost on Halloween? If so, this is the podcast for you. If you remember searching for that perfect film from Blockbuster, and if you grew up in the UK, waiting for that one VHS copy to be turned to the newsagents, then welcome. We'll have fond memories waiting for you. I'm Charlie, and the rest of the Rusted Junk team are Amanda... Joe and Dom. Hello! The theme for Season 7 of Rusted Junk is Lucky Dip. We've all picked four movies. I pick five, just, you know, because. Uh, because and the first what? movie... Because because. What? Oh, because... Because you're special. Go. Yeah, because I've done a lot of work. <laughs> for those for those people that liked our new, new um, uh, intro, by the way, uh, if you want to go, it's all nice and sparkly on YouTube, unless you just listen to it. But yeah. Go go and go and have a check it check it out. It's because uh, I'm quite, I'm quite proud of it. Um, I didn't do it by the way. I got somebody to do it for me. Um, but the first film, uh, not out of the hat, even though we will be drawing out the hat for the next film. Uh, this is all new. There's loads of good stuff going on. It's all going to be uh, you're going to be what? What are they, why are they changing everything? It's for the better. Trust me. But the first film was Fatal Attraction, and for those that don't know. Fatal Attraction is a 1987 American psychological thriller directed by Adrian Lin from a screenplay by James Dearden based on his 1980 short film, Diversion. The film centres on Dan Gallagher, played by Michael Douglas. Uh, He's on the rise at the New York law firm. He's happily married to his wife. Beth, played by Anne Archer, has a loving daughter, but after a casual fling with a sultry book editor named Alex Glenn Close, everything changes. Jilted by Dan, Alex becomes unstable, her behaviour escalating from aggressive pursuit to obsessive stalking. And Dan realises that his main problem is not hiding his affair, but rather saving himself and his family. Here's the trailer. A look that led to an evening. We were attracted to each other at the party, that was obvious. You're on your own for the night, that's also obvious. A mistake he'd regret all his life. And where's your wife? Daddy! Honey, oh, sorry. And you're here with a strange girl being a naughty boy? I don't think having dinner with anybody's a crime. I've got to see you. This is going to stop. No, it's not going to stop. It's going to go on and on. She keeps calling the apartment. Hello? Every time Beth answers the phone, she hangs up. I'm scared, Jimmy. You play fair with me? Do you have an affair with her? I'll play fair with you. I don't want to lose my family. Did you do that? You're scared of me, aren't you? You're afraid. Gutless, heartless, spineless. If you ever come near my family again, I'll kill you. You understand? Daddy! I'm not going to be ignored. Alicia, where's Ellen? She's gone. Call the police. Whatever resentment she's feeling, she's probably got it out of her system. Ah! What if she didn't get it out of her system? What then? Fatal attraction. I guess you thought you'd get away with it. Well, you can't. <laughs> now, that is a trailer. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It is, isn't it? That's like an 80s trailer. What do we... I don't want to watch the film. Well, a lot of people agreed with you. Um, yeah. What was the, What were the takings on that? Do you know? Uh... I did have the takings. I believe they were around three hundred and fifty million, 
Ooh. Uh, on a on a budget of fifteen. That's good going, isn't it? A lot of money. It was but, the highest, highest grossing film of nineteen eighty seven globally, and the second in the US after after three men and a yeah three men and three a baby. And a baby. Yeah, everyone. Oh my that. god, that's great. That's more of a family film, I guess. So more more of a wider audience. So we're going to change things around for those people that are going. Oh, what the scores? What the scores? We're going to leave the scores until the end. We're going to leave you hanging. We are. We we are genuinely, and and this is, it's a good reason for that because we to think the end. collectively it might change. My, I I have a score in mind at the moment. Everyone, all of us have a score in mind at the moment. It may change. It might get worse. It might get better, depending on the uh, the conversation that we have. But. We will bring it out, we will average it, and then we will start rating the movies. How we do it for the others, I haven't decided that yet. But don't worry, we'll come up with something. Um, so, in no particular order, uh, what I'm looking for is uh, where you first saw Fatal Attraction and what are your initial thoughts of it before we get into the film. So, Amanda, what oh. did you think? Where did you first well, see it? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild stab in the dark here. <laughs> It, it was on in the it was on in the lounge and you passed and no not quite okay uh, I never saw it when it came out because it wasn't really my kind of film and I would only have been thirteen so not really my kind of film <laughs> so I didn't watch it until the nineties okay like the late nineties um and I was a bit apprehensive of whether I did actually want to watch it anyway because I thought it was like a more of a horror film thing right okay but when i did see it yeah i was a bit like kind of freaked out by it right <laughs> to be perfectly honest had somebody told you the end no right okay um right okay so initial thoughts of the, of the film initial thoughts what back then well of what you thought about it after seeing it you know just recently Okay, so I couldn't really remember the film, to be perfectly honest, because it's a long time ago since I've seen it. So it was like watching it afresh, um, which I suppose was quite good because I'm obviously a lot older, um, at least 20 years older, um, possibly 30. Uh, so um, looking at it from the perspective that I've got now will be very, very different from when I first saw it. So. I have a bit of a problem, um, and that's because I would probably want a bit more information or realisation about uh, Alex's backstory, Ooh. because I can't quite believe she would be that unhinged just on a a, a one to two day fling. I don't, I don't get it, and you don't get to find out like about her character enough. I don't think so. It. it for me, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it, it portrays this woman as being very mad, crazy, unhinged, and I don't think that's fair. Right, okay. That's interesting. That, that certainly, I, I know that will certainly come up, if not in trivia time, if just before. Um, mm. Dom? Yeah, I feel I should go next as well because my uh, first memories of it are very similar to Amanda's in the sense I was too young to watch it. First time round, watched it on a VHS copy in the 90s. And if I'm to be honest with myself, with all of you and, and with our listeners, 
most likely to try and get a bit of nipple action. About the sex, isn't it, Dom? I think so, yeah. You know, I was a teenage lad and um, we had a reputation mm. for um, blowing close, getting them out, shall we say. So I'm you know, not, not proud of this. So that, that won't be a... Uh, at least uh, you're honest. A big theme. Yeah. To, you know, now I'm a mature um, individual, as you see before you today. So that's... that's Sorry, that's, where's that? Where, where's the uh, mature individual? Sorry. <laughs> It's the grey beard. That's uh, that's what it is. Yeah. The um, no. So mainly watched it for titillation and probably uh, hit the mark when I was in my teenage years. Um, on rewatching, I, I think it's a strong choice, a great way to kick off the season because it's a big iconic movie that remains etched in the public mind. You know, Bunny Boiler is part of the, the language that yeah. we use now. Um, and, and I think similar to some of the films I've chosen for the season, and no spoilers, but. I think it's one that splits opinion because um, I thought there was a lot to like about this film, but I also thought there were a, a couple of fairly significant flaws to it as well, which uh, did detract from overall enjoyment. But yeah, big meaty films got our teeth into. Looking forward to hearing what you all have to say about it. Wow. Okay. Cool. Joe. Yeah. So out of everyone, I probably could have seen this when it came out <laughs> in the eighties, but like Amanda, I wasn't interested in it. I just had no interest whatsoever in it. I had seen a lot of trailers for it, and it was very popular at the time, but it just wasn't my kind of movie back then. Mm. So my actual first time seeing it was five days ago. What? Yes. Wow. Wow. Joe. Oh, yes. That's a little nugget that you kept off our conversations. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wowzers. Um, this film ever... How did it escape you for so long? I don't know. I just wasn't interested. I mean, I saw Basic Instinct. I like that one. I was more, well, we'll get into it, I guess. But I, I agree with you, Amanda. There needed to be more backstory on Alex because mm. when you look at her, and she's got a pretty decent job, too. Exactly. You would think that she would have lost that job at some point and that he would not have been the only one that she lost her mind for. Exactly. Mm. There's got to be like a, you know, a field full of bodies somewhere <laughs> out there. Or, or there's a there's a trigger point or something that's that's happened. So yeah, but it was a very good movie. And again, yeah, I had said this to Charlie. They just don't make movies like this anymore, where you can no, sit don't. down, enjoy it. It's good acting, good writing, good direction. You know, it it just was so well done. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, it's and I wonder if this could be made now. You know, oh well, we 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 just may come to that, Joe. We may come to that. I know what you're going to say, but we've got a big fan in the in the uh, in the team of the uh, the new Fatal Attraction. Yeah, haven't we, Dom? Yeah, yeah. I I dutifully did my homework and watched the TV miniseries remake, the first episode at least. So yeah, yeah. Okay, well we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, I did see it in cinema. Uh, and the very the, the very shortened version for all those that have listened to podcasts before know that I used to get packaged up to Newcastle all the time um, in the summer. My parents put money in my pocket, and sent me up to stay with my sister's ex boyfriend. Yes, they it's a didn't long like story. you. Fine, <laughs> but occasionally he came he came the other way and stayed, even though he was the ex boyfriend. And that's he would weird. look. Sorry, I, I know this is going to sound really weird. He would look after me. So. What? There would be me and him in a the babysitter. house. Well, sort of. I was fifteen, and he Ooh, went, "Should we go worse. down to the local cinema and watch this Fatal Attraction?" And I went, "Well, I get, well, I get in because uh, I think he kind of knows me. He says it's all right, don't worry. You know, just go, 
go past and that's very irresponsible taking a 15 year old into an 18 well we sat and watched fake i sat and watched fake attraction in the cinema with the audience reaction when i was 15 and to say that i he he told me he'd found out what the ending was and he told me what the ending was and i think that was worse because i knew it was coming and i was crapping myself because i was like oh this bath scene this bathtub scene's coming type thing so yes that's where i saw it but even though i was 15 and an impressionable age and probably shouldn't have seen it but i'm glad that i did um because i'd seen many i'd seen worse when i was when i was slightly younger did you um, know there was the like nakedness in it as well or not well i knew there was ste- steamy sex scenes steamy but that's as we used to call them steamy it's, a um, soft game. it's, it's not actually that. it's not sex no, no it's yeah, it's nine and a half weeks. Around, isn't it? Well, we've got the same director, like nine and a half weeks style stuff. So yeah, probably just yeah. Nick, nicked from that. A lot of uh, it's in the mind. I have to say, this is iconic. Uh, I'd, and when we get to roll call, we'll talk about Michael Douglas's role in in iconic films, um, uh, of which he seems too, to he? pick. He seems to pick some absolute belters and things that people really are talking about around the water cooler. It doesn't surprise me if, if you walked into a you know walked into a cinema to see another film and this was being trailered, and you were looking at that, you'd be chomping at the bit to see this film because you'd just be going, "This just looks incredible. This looks like a great cast. Oh look, it's the guy from Romance in the Stone. You know, he was, you know, it, it just looks inviting, in the sense that you need mm. to see it because you need to be part of that conversation. Um, so no wonder it did well, but. But anyway, on that note, shall we go into Roll Call and then talk about Michael Douglas? Here's Roll Call. Roll Call. So, Michael Douglas. Almost feels like I need to bring out the, uh, what did we used to call it? Amanda's Little Does She Know? Little Does She Know, yeah. You give me four films with Michael Douglas in that that isn't Romance in the Stone and isn't this film. uh... Oh, uh... What's the one where he goes a little bit mad with everything? Ooh, he gets okay. really angry. Yeah. What's that one called? Okay, Falling Down. I'll give you That's the title. The you, give, yeah. you just give me the brief description. That's fine. Uh, oh, you've put me on the spot. Oh, crumbs. Um, Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas. Oh, I'm thinking of um, Indecent Proposal, but that was the other guy, wasn't it? The other old guy. Robert Redford, yeah. Yeah. All um, right, perhaps I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I can't. Let's start with Streets of San Francisco, which is probably Joe. Am I right in saying that's where he made his sort of made, started to make his mark? His television debut. Yeah. Well, well, he's. Uh, we're getting into his background, or is this? Um, because he is Kirk Douglas's son. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he was basically famous for that. Um, but yes, Streets of San Francisco. And I, I found it uh, kind of fascinating that he produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was... He produced 16. it? Yeah. I mean, wow. he's. I guess he was around 30 at the time, which he he ages well. <laughs> you know, like when you look at it, because that would be 20 years from... So he must have been in his 50s when he was making Fatal Attraction, right? So looks pretty good. So is what is he nearly to sort of mid eighties now? 
Yeah, we haven't seen too much of him lately, and I think that there's a reason for that. But uh, yeah, he's probably out there. Seventy-eight years, yeah. But um, he's seventy-eight. Yeah, yeah, seventy-eight. Oh, he's just a couple of years younger than my mum, then. Wow. Dom, what about Michael? Before we go into the whole roll call, what what about yourself? Memories of how have we got this far talking about Michael Douglas and not mentioned two key facts: Wall Street and Captain Jesse Jones. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know which I admire him more for, but um, yeah, honestly, I, I, he may be a multimillionaire, but he would never have to buy a drink if I was out with him on a night. Oh, absolutely. But Wall Street is just, what a, what a film that is. And it is. Jones, what a woman she is. Yeah, so uh, Michael Douglas, I doff my cap and reveal <laughs> my shiny bonds, shiny red bonds to you. <laughs> so basically, you, you like him for one movie role and the other one because he managed to pull a Welsh stunner yeah well those are the two things I mind most for <laughs> okay, well. Well. yes um, we can we can veer off limits so we can veer off course at any time the American president that's a pretty decent film I think it is uh, yeah. makes not- a good president Joe probably you, you might not think so because he's democrat isn't he uh, I was watching that uh, the other night too and yeah no he is he, he's a good actor you gotta give it to him it, it's not like you know, he has a good presence, we'll say. He does good in what he does. He's a yeah. star. He is. And if you look at the early stuff, so we've got Coma, China Syndrome, and the Star Chamber. The Star Chamber is brilliant. It's about a secret group of judges that are basically, uh, they make a judgment, the killer goes off scot-free, and the Star Chamber decides whether they're guilty and sends the assassin after them and finishes the job. What? Michael Douglas is the one that exposes all of it. He's brilliant. But then we've got the breakout, and we must call it, I think, the breakout role of Romancing the Stone. So popular, that film, that they rushed into, uh, and and not not in a bad way, because it turned out to be a, a just as good film. Um, a year later, so Romancing the Stone was 84, Jewel of the Nile was 85. So, so popular. Michael Douglas suddenly appears on the global stage, suddenly appears uh, as somebody to, to, to look, look to. And as you just said, Dom, from there... Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, Black Rain, War of the Roses, where he, you know, he's he's done the Romance of the Stone with Kathleen Turner and then plays the bickering divorce, you know, with Danny DeVito, again, back from Romance in the Stone. The three of them are back together, playing the most darkest film that you'll probably see in the 80s. Um, funny, but really dark. Uh, from there, Basic Instinct, again, not get not game changing, but water cooler, water cooler moments. Yes, did she or didn't she? Falling down, American president, the game, the game with Sean Penn, brilliant. It's a great film. Then you've got the sequel to Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Then not so much. He, he then makes things like Las Vegas, Last Vegas, Ant Man, and then we watched him in the TV series, The Kaminsky Method, didn't we? Oh yeah, remember, that's yeah. really really good. And fun, he huh? is great in that. He is really good in that. So, you know what? When we talk about bona fide movie stars, I know that they all they all drop off after a while. I mean, apart from like you know the Olivia Colmans and the Helen Mirrens, they just keep going and they keep making you know sort of quality films. His CV is is you know like some of the best. I mean that that as a movie marathon, I don't think there's anything there that I wouldn't want to watch. So, as, as a, uh, in, in doing research for this part, I saw he got some recognition for his portrayal of Liberace in the film behind the. Yeah, I saw that one. 
I haven't seen it. I was just really curious as to how he did in that. What, He's what? very good in that. Yeah, no, no, he was good, you know, for what he played. What did he do? <laughs> hmm? What, what was he in that film? He was Liberace. Yeah. How was he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I wish my brother George was here. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about, but there we go. Anyway, on to Clink Post. We're going to shorten roll calls from, from unless there's some, belt, you know, some absolute belters in the wings we're just going to focus on the main stars uh glenn close anyone want to a favorite glenn close film yeah i would just say have a stab in the dark of any other glenn close film? don't pick on amanda because i'm sure we're all going to have problems with this one okay I, well i will anyway um well i could say guardians of the galaxy she was in that yes absolutely yes Isn't she in some kind of really long boring film out of Africa or something. That was Meryl Street. I get them confused. Oh, <laughs> oh do, she especially... was in. Um, oh, the thing with the. Um, oh, go. Dangerous Liaisons. Yes. Yeah, I very good that movie. Oh, brilliant. Yes, I like that one. That was very cunning and very manipulative. That movie wasn't it? The characters that they played. I, I think that's her best movie, to be honest. The Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan though. I'll just I'll just declare it now. But uh, but yeah, this, I think either Fatal Attraction or Dangerous Liaisons were her career highlights. Although famously, she's been the most uh, Oscar-nominated person never to win an Oscar. So she's been nominated six times. So she has got a good uh, portfolio of films. But um, you'd be hard pushed to name some of them. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Not not you, Amanda. But us collectively. <laughs> well, thanks for that recognition, Dom. <laughs> oh, just in case it felt like I was going to go. I mean, I did. I mean. Uh, even the more recent ones, The Wine, nominated for Best Actress, can't remember that one. Albert Nobbs, 2011, nominated for Best Actress for that one, can't, can't remember that movie at all. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to kick off with um, The World According to Garp. And oh, I'll yeah. be funny. She's, everyone in that, take a bow, but she is exceptionally good in that film. I keep thinking. I keep saying that I'm going to have to watch it, and again, and I and I will. I'll, I'll keep to my word this week. Um, Jagged Edge with Jeff Bridges. That's got a heck of a good twist in it. Plays a lawyer um, trying to uh, decide whether or not he committed murder or not. Uh, doing dangerous liaisons. Cruella Deville in 101 Dalmatians. Oh, of course. Mm. Um, she was in the uh, TV show Damages. Uh, with Rose, uh, what was her second name? Rose, Rose Byrne, who was in Bridesmaids. Um, but she also played the vice president in Air Force One. Get off my plane. Ah, what a film. Um, and lastly, on to Anne Archer. So, see, this is going to be really, this might be tricky for everyone, but Anne Archer will always be a particular thing to me, apart from Fatal Attraction. And I think Joe might be the only one that might guess it. Probably not. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm stumped. Well, she starred in a... This isn't it, but she starred in a film shortly after this uh, with narrow margin with Gene Hackman, which is where she plays a witness and he's a lawyer. And, and they need to go on the run. And, and it's really, really good. She was in Body of Evidence, the, the poorly received... Uh, uh, Madonna film. Oh, Madonna, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Candle Wax. But she's also Jack Ryan's wife 
in Patriot um, Games. Harrison mm. Ford's wife, not oh. my Jack Ryan. Hashtag, not my Jack Ryan. Um, but yeah, so uh, not a lot for for that. Um, Dom, I'm going to give you a little bit of a test now. Oh. So uh, the daughter, Ellen, uh, what film did she go on to do? Well, first of all, I didn't realise it was an actress in this film for quite some time until they started explicitly referring to her as a girl because I was... I know, I thought it was, she was a boy. Me too. I, I thought it was Alan. <laughs> yeah. Alan. 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 Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't see enough babies called Alan these days, do you? It seems to fall into fashion. But um, yeah, I do happen to know the answer to this. It's uh, it's um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, isn't it, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Ruby Sue. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. What? What a what a film that is. Yeah. But uh, that's what she's from. But who was she? She was like the young girl. Yeah. Uh, she was. Uh, what's his name? Um, Randy Quaid's uh, daughter. Randy Quaid's daughter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. And we also. Oh, and and, and, and she now then? Oh, she must be. Oh, again, must be mid. Late thirties, I would think. Um, and do you want an extra bonus point for the babysitter? Oh, what? I remember her. She yes. she's out of um, the one with the dancing baby. Um, Ali McBeal. That's the one. Jane, uh, am I pronouncing it right? Jane Krakowski? Yeah, she's a tough one to pronounce. Well, Dom, do you want the bonus point? Why is she linked with Ellen? Not just the babysitter. They share a dad. Oh, um, no, no. Uh, yeah. She uh, smokes, smokes weed with them when they go on the um, uh, the Winter Wally world. Is that, is that right? Or am I getting them mixed up? Well, the, yeah, you're, you're close. Technically, they're on-screen sisters because mm. Jane Krakowski is Randy Quaid's older daughter, Eldest daughter. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So in National Lampoon, she's the one on the swing. But she goes. Oh. Somebody tells me I'm. Well, I've forgotten the line is. I get told I'm a great, great kisser. Yeah, daddy. Daddy said it's the best he's ever. <laughs> the best he's ever had. Or something. That's the line. Oh God. Yeah, I know. Well, it is Randy Quaid. But technically, they're on. They're, they're sisters. In I'll that film. You. I think I think credit where it's due here, Charlie. Just for benefit of our listeners, about ten minutes before this pod started, you, you messaged us and asked me or Joe to pick up the slack and uh, help you out with Ron Call and some of the supporting characters. And I, I said there wasn't anything to go for there. And not only have you got this knowledge in your head, but you've just given us a given us a masterclass there. So fair play once again. Oh, how kind! Well, it's a lot of nothing going on there. There is a little break glasses in case of emergency. Oh, uh, Fred Gwynn. Is of course Amanda. You you noticed it at the time. Who? Uh, the uh, boss of the company that Michael Douglas works for. Uh, he said, "Isn't he out the Adams family?" And I went close. Oh yes, the Munsters. He's Herman Munster. Yeah. Yes. Um, I tell you, I was impressed with it, and we will move off from roll call because I did say I was trying to shorten it, <laughs> but I did. Uh, but I, I I was impressed with the with the his best mate. As part of the couples, and I and I thought, God, I've seen him in loads of stuff. And I went on IMDb, and he he hasn't been in lots of stuff yeah. that I know. I didn't buy him though. Like with uh, who was the girl he was with? The girl he was with was kind of famous too. 
Hmm. See, this is where we show it was, the lack uh, of... The lack of uh... I got to look really quick. Um, but she was on Night Court. Um, she's on what? The, the tours with Meatloaf? She was, yeah, she sang from Ellen Foley. She was, uh, you know, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. She's what? the girl singing that song. Oh, that's that's incredible. That's brilliant. And okay. she was in Night, Night Court. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Uh, is it a show about... It's about uh, juries at night, juries, courts. It, it's very good. It's 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 either I, I guess it's an eighties show. You might you might have missed, but we, it uh, never came over here, Joe. Unfortunately, it's very popular here. Sounds pretty good, right? Okay, well that's roll call then. Um, let's get into let's get into the film. Um, so obviously, for those that haven't seen it, it is obviously the, uh, Michael Douglas as we said at the start has this fling Glenn Coast starts to just call him a little bit more and then the calls turn into well I can't take the call they're turning up at the office uh she makes things up uh she makes up the fact that I think it's supposedly made up I believe that she was pregnant yeah I was going to ask you guys about yeah that. I don't I mean that's never really said that she wasn't but in keep yeah, in keeping he gets with that, to call her a gynecologist though yeah, but she, you know, this is where the auditor alert should have kicked in for you, sweetheart. Oh, there's plenty of auditor alert. No, 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 but the auditor alert is never, never call the the number that somebody's trying to scam you gives that's, you. That's very correct, Charles. Thank yeah. you, thank you very much. And Dom, of course, Dom knows. Dom knows all about this. What um, I was going to say, though, what made it confusing with that though, is that she said that her father died of a heart attack, and then she says, "No, nah, I was just kidding," you know, and then she says she's pregnant, you know. So I thought that well, maybe once he found out that the father did die of a heart attack and that she wasn't kidding, you know, that they were going to try to weave that in some way. But if okay. that's the case, then she was pregnant, you know, cause that's the first thing that she did say. And he didn't use, she didn't use protection. Well, we don't know about that, but he didn't for sure. No, no, he was an idiot. <laughs> I'll just say that. He wasn't an idiot. And, and um, I know part of the point of this film is, you know, to discuss it, did he deserve it or not? He had the fling and it takes two to tango, but it wasn't just so much that he slept with her bad enough. It's that he had quite a romantic encounter with her, didn't he? There was picnics in the park and there was yeah. kind of skipping mm-hmm. through the rain and, you know, she went back to her apartment for a second night, took the dog there. Cooking um, fresh pasta, yeah. Clearly, yeah, so I think that as well as being unfaithful to his wife, which is you know, clearly not a good thing, um, it was, you know, had this big emotional connection with her. So I think he has only got himself to blame. He should have just stopped with a, a knee trembler around the back of Weatherspoons or whatever it was he needed to get his filthy urges <laughs> satisfied and moved on, you know, given her a false number or um, ghosted or something. What any, what any reasonable man would do under those circumstances. I just, <laughs> well, you know, when you're, uh, when, when, you're, when you're talking about opera and cooking pasta and listening to what she's got to say, then you've only got yourself to blame if she falls in love with you. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> Dom's, Dom's moral compass has just gone like like that. It's all over the, it's all over the place. He's practically behaving like a Frenchman by the end of it, I feel. <laughs> well, that, that brings what? up another conundrum, though. It's like, why would he sleep with her when he's got Anne Archer at home? Uh, oh, no. yeah, Joe, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we get to that, I know, yeah, before okay. we get to that, I, I, I've got to mention, so he moves in the same social circles as... Glenn Close does. His wife moves in the same social circles as Glenn Close does. How did he not think for one moment 
that he'd be able to it's not like oh i met her on a business trip or something like that you know uh, she's my girlfriend in canada or whatever right they they literally meet they're at a party it is likely they're going to be at a party again so how stupid is he in order i was going to say um he, uh, that he that he doesn't understand the ramifications for all of this because there's no, one thing to say with his, I, with his yeah appendage. I know but but even if you're doing that you've got to like surely you don't go well I'll, I'll do it with somebody that my wife has seen at a party because she get, and then she goes didn't I didn't I see you at a party oh good lord so he's a bit of an idiot for that as well as doing the cheating as well as everything else. But can we return to Joe's point there, please? Because this film shouldn't be called Fatal Attraction. It should be called Bizarre Attraction, I think. She's <laughs> not right. attractive. I'm sorry, Glenn Close. And the first shot of her with, like, a hair all back and, like, that massive... Sorry, but the massive forehead. I know it's, I know it's her, it's not the character as, as such, but I even wrote in here, in my book, the first sentence, Glenn Close, not attractive at all. His wife in film is smoking hot. Just you know, I just don't. I don't get why he would. I think it's. I think what the film was trying to do was actually show you the mundane, routine things of family life and how difficult it can be with a young child in the house. So you don't get that alone time. You don't get those opportunities that you do before you have children. You can like be quite, you know, spontaneous. Um, So you have to pick and choose your moments. And I guess life gets in the way sometimes so that opportunity to have a a saucy sexy kind of um exciting fling if that pops up and you're you could see he did actually really want you know to have sexual relations with his wife but things kept happening that kept stopping that from like Panning out, I guess. So it was happening. You just saw the bits where it was being stopped. His family life looked great. I thought he's got a beautiful apartment, you know, loving families, attractive. Uh, I I didn't really get why he wanted to have this fling, apart from the fact that it was on offer for him, and maybe that was the point. It was just, uh, it was just greedy. But um, yeah, his home life. I think they should have swapped the the actresses, and that would have made it a more plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or maybe he could have been drunk, because uh, that's the only reason why. Look at I us defending. Say... Look at wait a minute before we even got into the morals of it. Look at he us wasn't defend... drunk. Look at us defending. No, he should have been drunk. <laughs> right? Okay. Or on heroin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I'm just okay, saying. Can I? Well, I've got to speak up for Glenn Close. She's not. The She's best got a nice looking... body. But I'm just saying, one of them needed looks, a bag over their head. You know, she, in order she looked to... like she'd been dug up when she was in that bar. She looked like she'd been yeah. dead week. Yeah, she was like, the skin was like sunken in. It was, just, yeah, it was all a bit... Ugh. Yeah. Mm. If, if, a of, if a pair of leathery wings had extended from her back, I wouldn't have been surprised at that point. Yeah, it would have... By the way, do you know who else went for this role? So I'll put it in there. All right, that'll help. Okay. What, the the fatal femme fatale role. Because now yes. I'll be pissed. All right. Uh, no, wait a minute. So I'm going to give you two because I'm not going to go through them all. Um, Sally Field was considered, right, the Sally mm. Field. But she turned it down because she said, oh, I don't think my fans will accept her playing an, an, uh, you know, uh, somebody with that character because she's all wholesome and everything else. But 
Here's an interesting bit. Kirstie Alley was yeah. under consideration. Yeah. She's and, too much like the wife, though. Yeah. And she provided a tape of a woman who had been stalking her husband, Parker Stevenson, as part of the audition, in which she was begging him to be part of her life. And they didn't take Kirstie Alley on the role, but they took the recording that she gave him. And that's what she says on the tape. And those same things are what she says on the on the, the cassette tape. Verbatim, it says. That's exactly what she said. Wow. And I'm like, that's that's amazing. Now, Kirstie Alley. Now you now you've got a now you've got a level playing field. Mm. Well, yeah, you would have to change the wife then. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's who's, let her that's have like similar. blonde hair or you know. It's a good point, I, Jeremy. Maybe it's the wife that's miscast. Maybe she's just too attractive and desirable. And, and I noticed in the TV adaptation, which we'll get to later, they've um, gone for a less attractive wife at home, so it makes it more understandable, more obvious to the viewer why he plays away. Mm. Like he should have been married to the secretary from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> <laughs> we watched that today. Which we went to see at the Electric Cinema in Birmingham this afternoon. So yes, <laughs> that's, that's cool. All, uh, it's all very good. You that have to work late uh... today, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, the sex scenes, as I say, are good. Glenn Close, not classically attractive, but attractive enough attractive enough to work because I think the writing does a lot of the heavy lifting. The scene where they're both having the innocent drink uh, afterwards where it's raining and they both get the, the, the cab and they have that drink. Well, that's the writing. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burner. And that's the thing that entices him because she's so upfront. She's so candid that it sort of takes him by surprise. So if he was going to cheat on Ann Archer, it's because he maybe didn't get that sort of honesty. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. the. Here's my notes on that seduction, that, that flirting scene. So okay. uh, lots of little smiles and knowing looks. He's got some cream on his nose and looks goofy. She wipes it off, they smile and laugh together in the rain. If I'd cringed any harder, I would have turned into a fossil. Which <laughs> tickled me last weekend. But yeah, no, no, it didn't do it for me. I I felt at the start of the film, there's all these beautifully shot little glimpses and snapshots of his family life. And then whenever he was with her, it was like an MTV music video, you know, the, the sex scenes, the going up in the elevator, her apartment. It felt like you were, you were watching two different films and... Mm. Thought that was intentional at first, you know, to kind of contrast his home life and his adulterous life. But I'm not sure it was. It just felt quite jarring to me, and I preferred the slightly slower-paced stuff, actually. Okay. I mean, from the sex scene, the director said he didn't want the love scene to take place in a bed uh, because it's so dreary. And he said, "I thought about a sink. I thought about the sink because I remember I once had sex with a girl over a sink way back. Uh, the plates clank around, and you'll have a laugh." You'll always need to have a laugh in a sex scene, he says. During filming, he yelled at the couple, praising them. If they know that they're turning you on, it builds their confidence, he says. And he used a handheld camera to film it, so there was no problem with the, the heat going out of the scene. And you're like, the sex scenes, I think the sex scenes work. Yeah, no, they I mean, do. Especially yeah. the lift. The lift. The is, elevator. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit uh, raunchy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I absolutely. still wouldn't have done it, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd have been home at that point. I'd be like, well, I I'm good. her off in the cab. Right. See you later. <laughs> well, again, I just, I'm not attracted to her. I mean, it would have been no movie, you know, but I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going home. <laughs> it's like, can't you come over? Yeah, I'm really yeah, the busy. Dogs, I've got to let the dog out. <laughs> yeah, dog really, he's got a diarrhea problem. Exactly. I can't leave him. <laughs> oh my God. I, even I was just... put in here. Like, they were straight at it. And then they go dancing afterwards. Who does that? Sorry. That didn't gel with me. And I I wrote here, poor dog, but he shat everywhere. (laughs) He was locked up for, like, God knows how many hours. Poor thing. Yeah. And then Sunday antics, romping in the park, a fake heart attack, her father died. Uh, And then they... Go back to hers and start making pasta and play Madame Butterfly. But then here comes the crunch moment, isn't it? It's like he goes to try and leave and then says, oh, well, I think you're terrific, but I'm married. And then she says, mm, just my luck. And then that's when he's not allowed to leave because they've they've done a little bit of um, sex stuff. Panky panky. Yeah. And then he's not allowed to leave and she rips his shirt. And then after that, that's when she cuts her wrists. Yeah, and it just seems gross. a little bit. Yeah, they haven't even been together twenty four hours. Yeah, that's why I want to know more about her character. What 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 point do you do you assume you're part of somebody's, you know, life? Well, it's interesting because twenty four hours. What she says uh, when she in a twenty thirteen interview, she said she would have rethought the portrayal of Alex Forrest because of the fear that the film's popularity might have had, might have been a contributing factor towards mental health stigma. Mm. She says, I would, I would read that script totally differently. The standing thing was that in my research for fatal attraction, she said she talked to two, two psychiatrists, never did a mental disorder come up at all in those conversations. Never did the possibility of that come up. She says that of course would be the first thing I think of now. What she was basing that on is that she had trauma when she was younger. Like, you know, something to do with her dad. Uh, and that would have caused this disorder that she's got. So, but it's weird that it that the mental health stuff wouldn't have come in. But this was this was the 80s. Nobody really discussed mental health. Well, um, what's interesting about Glenn Close's um, own personal past is that her and her family lived with a borderline cult called the Moral Reanimment, um, a conservative religious movement. Oh, right, okay. Controlling doctrines. Uh, and um, Glenn Close's father was the personal physician to the group's leader. Um, and it was only when she went to boarding school in her later teenage years that she kind of escaped that. Um, I mean, that probably made it sound more sinister than it was, but it was definitely a full-on um, thing. And so, yeah, I'm quite surprised at her understanding of coercion of mental illness and these issues wasn't wasn't a bit sharper than it was at the time of making this film. Mm. They, they you, probably loved seeing that movie. Did you <laughs> notice as well where her apartment was located? And mm. and like the, the graphics that you saw between her apartment and his apartment, it was very contrasting. So her apartment, I've written, not the nicest of areas for an apartment, it was across the road from like a, an abattoir and like when they first went to her apartment, they went through like loads of people carrying meat, and I thought that's a bit weird. Um, but inside her apartment, it's all white. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. So I guess the whole blood thing 
has more dramatic effect as well. Especially, do well, you know, when he's kind of like searching for medicine cabinets. Why do you want a medicine cabinet after someone's cut themselves? I'm heaven knows, but there we go. So he's smearing blood all through the apartment. But I've just put outside he's very grey and meaty. <laughs> Whereas his home life is a lovely residential area, you know, very homely, um, quite upbeat, quite upmarket. So it's very contrasting. Hmm. Well, most apartments here, especially in Manhattan, they're painted white. Oh, are you know, they? Like, yeah. Yeah, and but then, his wasn't. His was very traditionally decorated. I forget. Was his his an apartment or was it a house? His uh, apartment. His apartment. But they, but they, they had the house. the house in the yeah, country. Yeah. I, I forget. Yeah. But it, like, if you own your own place, you'll, you'll paint it and maybe who knows, you know, but I know that the majority of places when you go in, like they'll just make everything white. So you can decide what you want it to be. Like if you're renting. Okay. Ooh, okay. One, of, one of the other observations I had was why, why did they dress the daughter in oversized adult t-shirts? The 80s. That's the eighties. To confuse us, kind of is. It was just a bit mental. Not once, but two or three times they did that. I did think though that the the, the scenery, the to New York is really really evocative of. Not that I was there, but you know, as I imagine nineteen eighties New York to have been. So I think you know, if we're looking for things to complement the film on, and I think that sense of place you know the 1980s new york manhattan successful wealthy people you know i, I thought i thought that was pr- pretty good actually i thought some of the stuff that was filmed at his apartment with his family dynamics i thought that was almost reminiscent of a bit of woody allen perhaps even um okay which yeah is, yeah good chat yeah. i think amanda you know to your point when it was her stark uh more modern apartment in the meatpacking districts and things it was um you know almost like an mtv video in, in contrast to, to that but no i, I really enjoyed them um, the city as a location for the film. Yeah. And nobody shoots uh, street scenes in cit- cities like Adrian Linda's. Can I just say, nine and a half weeks. Nine and a half weeks is beautifully shot. And both Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger are fantastic in that film. But yeah, similar to that. I wish, Whenever I hear the song Slave to Love, it instantly puts me back in nine and a half weeks. Mickey Rourke, long coat, walking down the street steam coming up from the manhole covers you're like yes yes iconic um okay so uh what about what she does and how she turns so if we if we move past that this bit then how how it starts it's almost like how it starts how you know how it started how how it's going now um the the, well, clearly, the call, after yeah. cutting the wrists you know that that's just like not normal is it i'm surprised he didn't like just i mean he was a nice guy well he obviously helped her saw she was in a bit of a a, an emotional state obviously stayed and helped her i don't know why they didn't go to hospital though because yeah well surely you're supposed to do that with a deep cut heaven knows i don't know Mm -hmm. what he ripped up with a sheet or something anyway and then bandaged her up and then like he then like kept interacting with her afterwards, which I thought was a little bit odd. Whether or not he just thought that he had to, um, I don't know. I think the coldest bit of that is the next day where she comes to his office to apologise 
and yeah. say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. Most guys would have run. What? Most guys would have just left you bleeding on the floor and would have left. Really? I think anybody in that position would have helped her and, oh, yeah. and done something. And you're right, Amanda. They would have picked up the phone. They would have steadied it. They would have like put, you know, put some, you know, dressing on it, and then called the ambulance and say yeah. this this needs actually needs to be looked at. So I think Glenn Close's character changes. I know this is going to sound a bit stupid. Not when she slashes her wrists. The darkness descends when she comes to his office. Because that's the bit where you go, she's treating this like, you know, I'm sorry you spilt some pasta last night. You know, I'm sorry I spilt some pasta. You know, yeah. most people don't like that. She she treats this very serious, potentially life-ending thing just so casually. And at that point, you're like... I need to reach for my lawyer. I need a restraining order. I need. I need. But it was a control thing, though, wasn't it, to stop him from leaving at the time? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, like, where it's like, I think it would have helped too if he would have said, you know, he started calling for an ambulance. I don't know. Did he pick up the phone? I forget. No. And, but say like he did. Say he called for an ambulance. He says, no, no, please, please, no ambulance. And if he hung up the phone that would have shown that she has control over him by her injuring herself it she has some sort of control over him and i i think they they you would see that in movies too like where lovers that would have a fight and then one would like punch the hand through a glass and instead of the girl leaving she's like no i can't leave him you know something like that i think this is really astute joe i think that's the, the point there is she's got control over him because yeah. As you're watching this unfold, you're saying to yourself, right, what he should do now is he should tell his wife and take back the control. So the threat that she's got over him, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be messy, but he's got to tell his wife. Or he is a lawyer after all, he's going to get lawyered up and just hit her, you know, right between the eyes with as much, you know, restraining order um, and legal stuff as he can. Or he's got to go to the police and insist that the lieutenant does something, not just kind of be passive about it. So he's got to take ownership of the situation, and he doesn't. So he kind of spins and spins and spins, and it escalates and escalates and escalates. And uh, I'm not saying it's on his fault. Obviously, he's dealing with a bit of a psycho. But um, but yeah, he should have uh, taken reasserted control of the situation, and he doesn't. Yeah. And that underlines that he is a weak man. And that's something I think the director lets him off the hook a little bit with. You know, it's all Glenn Close is a psycho. But actually, he's a, a greedy man for this affair when he's already got a wonderful life. And he's a weak man because he doesn't actually deal with it properly. Um, he needs to take the of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. He is, and in the 80s and probably continuing now, if you get millennials or Gen Z looking at this, they'll be going, he's he's the, she's the, she's the, um, she's been treated very badly. No wonder she reacts like this. You know, it would almost be the role it's reversal. It's not proportional. It's not proportional, you're right. But at the same time, he does... I mean, let's look at what he does. As Don points out, this isn't just a, uh, as I say, a, a quickie round the back of the news agents. This is... He, he he has a lovely weekend with her. I mean, what are you doing, man? I mean, this is... Of course, you're probably leading her on to think that, actually, there might be something happening here. I mean... You know, it's not just like incident, leaves, goes home, blah, 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 bang, comes back the next day, incident, and then leaves and whatever else. He just spends the weekend. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Why well, was I, I ask you guys, has anyone like been in a relationship like that where 
the other person has been obsessed or you've been obsessed obsessed yeah. obsessed with somebody else Not yeah I'm aware of no well Apart from Amanda, obsessed with Amanda, of course. <laughs> it's stupid, not obsessed with me in Muppet. No, not in that's not in the fatal attraction sense, but in a lovely sense. In a yeah, I think about you all the time. No, you don't. I do. What? What am I going to cook you for tea? <laughs> yeah. Have I done oh, okay. the laundry? Have I done the cleaning? Well, obviously, my sentimentality is going to go uh, is going un uh, unrequited. So uh, unnoticed, I think. Oh dear! Wow. Okay. Well, well let's let's move on. No, I, I was going to say I know I I was in this relationship for after two weeks she wanted to start looking for rings, you know, engagement Whoa, rings. Whoa. Okay. And Seriously? Then I, yeah. And then I just like one day I was just in a mood and I says, look, and I told her I says I'm in a mood. I'm just not going to pick up my phone. I'm not going to answer anything. So I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm just don't feel like talking to anybody. She she texted me twenty something times, you know, and she says, "I just want to know that you're okay. Can you please respond?" She's like, "Why aren't you answering your, your calls?" It's like, I I think I'm going to come over, and that like scared the hell out of me, you know. So I kind of when I watch this movie, it's like, yeah, I can, I can relate in a way, you know. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> <Surprise>. <laughs> in which case, that that knock on the door on Wednesday might be. Uh... Yeah, a knife. <laughs> not a pizza, knife first. Not the pizza man. No. I did have a relationship that wasn't obsessive, but it was quite intense. Here we go. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was. The Spoiler, end. wasn't me. No, was pre or post Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Before, before Charles. Just everything's before, pre. Actually. Uh, don't the, spare any detail, no matter how filthy. Yeah, elevators. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's that kind of podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not spilling the beans on any of that. Um, but the way it ended was all a bit weird because it was all quite intense. And then he ghosted me, and that sent me a little bit loony. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. It, it it did my head in because he gave me no reason no reason whatsoever as to why the relationship had ended that had done my head in to the point where i didn't know if it was something i'd done said acted whether he'd gone off me i just wanted a reason and i got nothing i had Mm. no reason why it ended and that was really hard to get over so i don't identify (laughs) with this character alex but the not knowing as to why something has stopped. Yeah, being ghosted, yeah. Is really, it plays with your head in a big way. So I had to make sure I was ready to enter the relationship with Charles before <laughs> before we went down any sort of relationship route because it was a real moment. It was not nice. And I didn't want that fallout to impact on us, so... And, I, I, and also really quick, I, I was kind of like John Favreau in Swingers, where I would <laughs> call up a girl way too many times. Oh, don't like, don't remind me of that scene. That is, yeah, every single so, time, Mikey. I was a wee bit obsessive at times, you know, like when I was younger. And when I look back at it, it's like you idiot should have played it so much more cooler. 
Blimey. You just go along with it, though, don't you, at the time? It's just how things pan out sometimes. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what do I do? It's like, if I stay away from her, it's going to look like I'm not interested. If I'm, you know, per, you know, going after her too much, it's going to look like I'm obsessive. It's like, <laughs> but I really like this girl, so what do I do? What do I do? Oh. Mm. Start sharpening my knife. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, I'm uh, trying to be like this movie, like this movie. Oh, right. So when they have the friends over for dinner and they're having their little uh, lovely friend meal at, at his house and the, the phone starts ringing and it's Alex on the other end, but silent because the wife answers the phone. And then she calls again at 2 a.m. and then says, yeah, we'll meet up at six. And then she says, I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. Seriously. So, do we think Anne Archer in this case is hopelessly thick? That she gets a silent call, she gets the the two a.m. call. Oh, who was that? I mean, who's phoning him at two a.m.? Well, he's tried to pretend it was his boss, didn't oh, he? Exactly. Yeah, and all she needs to do is she needs to go to the party. Goes, stop phoning my husband at two a.m. in the morning. And in which case he goes, eh? What? Well, I said to you, didn't I? I said, oh, they needed 1471. Now, Good Lord. I don't for know our, if Joe will get that. For our listeners outside of the UK, that means absolutely nothing. Do you know if what you... that is, Joe? What, was a caller ID? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You dial it and it tells you the number, unless they're savvy enough to have blocked it in the first place, in which case, <laughs> you know, their ex-directory or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, I just wanted to point out, I just wanted to move it along probably a little bit. I like the so we've got the brake fluid on the car, which which starts escalating this a, a lot more. I think it was brake fluid. Is it brake fluid? I thought it was acid. I thought it was acid too. Well, brake fluid has a similar. Okay, all right. It looked like it melted so you the car. Tell us, babe. <laughs> no, well, there is a story attached to that, but I I won't. Yeah, I, I won't tell you how I know what brake fluid does to a car. But <laughs> that's a challenge. Do you remember when in Nottingham somebody wrote the word? <laughs> I on your car. Wrote <laughs> what? Was it, was, I'm sure it was you. Somebody just wrote the word I, P I E. I? Oh, God. Yeah, that, that was hilarious because not only was it, you know, expensive and really annoying, but it was the absurdest, surrealist. Irrelevant. Twist. I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was like, why? What? Why? Why pie? <laughs> When I saw you the next day, you couldn't get you just couldn't get past that point of why pie? It's like writing giraffe. It's just like <laughs> what, what Salvador Dali's spiritual air was, uh, was going through <laughs> with, a, with this uh, permanent marker. Yeah, pie. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> Lord, I'd forgotten that. Anyway, brake fluid, acid, whatever. The rental car where he plays the cassette. That's a good moment, and she's following him. That's that's great direction. That's great writing. As I say, nicked from Kirsty Alley's experience uh, or Parker Stevenson's experience, but it's great. She's I wouldn't so have listened obsessed. to it. She's so obsessed with it, isn't it? She she yeah, says, yeah. "I feel you, I taste you, I think you." Yeah. Ooh. That's proper kind of wowzers. And then becoming obviously at that point, she'd already befriended the wife which meant that because she was interested in buying the place, 
that she'd always get the updated phone number. So no matter how much she turns the phone number, oh, I need to give it to that nice Alex lady that's buying the house. So she'd always have access to it. That's quite clever from yeah. her point of view. Mm. But toward, did you did you notice though towards the end of the tape it got it the, the lovingness and the oh I really want you I really love you it completely changed to uh, you've turned my life upside down without a thought for anyone else uh, um, uh, yeah I'm not going to say the other word it's something about sea sucking um, there we go. <laughs> So was that tape like completely full? Like, and then you turn it around, and there's more of her talking on it. I don't. It know. could have been, you know, it could have been like she was so damn psychotic that she spoke for at least an hour on that tape. Well, was it? Do you think it was a C ninety? C ninety or a C one eighty or a C one twenty? Well, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt and making it like a C sixty, C thirty. Now we're talking. Um, so obviously then goes home it goes to the police the police aren't going to do anything and then we get the famous as you mentioned it right at the start again why it's iconic is because we get the term bunny boiler because that's what she does Um, it's it's coined from the film isn't it it is Um, again why it's why it's iconic one of the things by the way I did I did want to mention and I left it out roll call and I am absolutely kicking myself um Michael Douglas in Disclosure, um, you know, a- again, uh, you know, encountering treatment from a, you know, uh, a woman that's unacceptable, but in this case, he's a boss. You know, that film is, I think, is bona fide, and I know it sounds really straight, probably I would say top 15 in my top 15 of the 90s. I I just think he's he is, everybody in that is incredible. And it's got Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland in it, which doesn't doesn't hurt any time. I started watching that after you recommended it. Uh, and, and what did you think? I, I didn't finish it. I'll tell you later on. Oh, um, right. oh dear. But uh, I I kept confusing the two films. You know. Oh, okay. I kept thinking, does this take place in Seattle or is it New York? <laughs> you know. Even now, as we're talking about it, I'm confusing <laughs> the scenes. Yeah. So can we? After that, the bunny, the the bunny boiling scene, which is, um, I think I had some, I, I did have some uh, um, trivia on that uh, for the bunny itself. Uh, according to the lead, uh, according to Leading Lady by Stephen Galloway, the dead rabbit was real and was obtained by from a local butcher before it was skinned f- for consumption. Anne Archer's grim reaction while approaching the stove was in part due to the boiling water causing the carcass to smell foul so try to keep it all try to keep it all real but it is it's a good moment the switch away to ellen shouting out daddy to her discovering that and then i think we get one of the best scenes in the film because we see Anne archer open up her acting chops and the fight that she she sort of has with michael douglas is oh i i, I just wrote down he tells her all about it the moment is devastating. Anne Archer is incredible because I just think that she's, hmm. yeah, a woman scorned, a woman that totally taken it by left field. She's had this woman in a house. She's befriended the woman. She's sitting yeah. at the party. All of these things that have happened, you know, the car, everything, and it and it got to this point before she got involved. No wonder. I mean, no wonder. 
Um, and I have to, I was going to leave this for trivia time, but I have to, I have to put this in. So when they are fighting, you get the image of Ellen looking on at her parents fighting. Oh, that's really and, sad, and, isn't and it? it is, it's heartbreaking. This will make you, this will make it even worse for you. So to get the desired reaction shot from Ellen during the scene, Michael Douglas was behind the camera threatening to take the stuffed unicorn that she was holding saying, look at that stupid unicorn. I'm going to throw it in the garbage. Which is why she begins crying and hugging it tighter. That's what you see. Oh, really? The, wow. After director, How old was she? You know? I would say six, seven. I would said six. Yeah. Part, part of six, yeah. After director Adrian in the old cut, Douglas immediately apologised to her, saying, I was only kidding, and give her a big hug. In an interview years later, he said, I feel pretty guilty. But you got to do what you got to do. And I'm like, well, I know there's method acting, but I mean, saying, look behind the camera, I'm going to rip the unicorn's head off if you don't. Right, that's what I'm going to do. I'll be like... Honestly, he did the right thing. And um, that's why another reason why the 80s were better than today. Um, because ch- child actors are generally terrible. And uh, if he can encourage some, you know, actual emotion, <laughs> then fair play to him. So yeah, I'm Team Douglas on this one. <laughs> Oh, it's that compass again. The compass is swaying. It's all over the place. Um, it was like St- Stanley Kubrick with Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Yeah, oh, what was that again? He just abused the hell out of her and oh, said she, she was gross and you shouldn't have hired her. She's a horrible actress. Mm. Yeah. Made it in the scene, 40 takes. Um, just yeah. So we do have that scene. Um, she kicks him out. Um uh, the, you know, the the, the the line that's also in the trailer, which is, you know, what happens when she doesn't get it out of a system? You know, don't worry, she'll work this out. She'll work it out of a system. What happens if she doesn't? Obviously, then you have Glenn Close picking up Ellen from school and creating that, that trauma uh, for Anne Archer, which I think every parent would, would be able to understand is the wait a minute, where is where is somebody? And then getting worse and worse and worse as you realise that it's got, it is not just, you know, they're hiding somewhere or something. They're actually been taken by somebody else. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre that Ellen hadn't had the stranger, you know, talk, but then I suppose you can't really have that these days because you have nominated people, certainly in the UK, to pick up um, kids. So you yeah, can't just have somebody that walks yeah. in. So from safeguarding point of view. So, do you have that in the US, Joe? Do you know? Probably like there's a certain password or whatever. No, so only know. certain people can collect the, the child. Well, yeah, yeah, it, that's kind of it, you know. Or, um, But yeah, they do have that. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I was going to say, too, like, the you know, the part where she goes gets in the house and all that. It reminds me a lot of uh, Cape Fear, you know? Hmm. Like when De Niro broke in, and then they, you know, um, yeah, they'd be a good couple. <laughs> Max Cady and Alex Forrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see that film. Um, so obviously, and well, for those that've seen it, uh, Anne Archer has the car crash. The look that her dad gives Michael Douglas when he walks into oh the hospital God. room. That's oh, not it. Welcome, oh, oh, steady on there, chief. Reception is it? Yep, mm-hmm. and and she is so forgiving in this, 
with all of the stuff that's been happening, with all of the things that have happened, she's so forgiving. Because of the crash, it forces Michael Douglas to go to the house. And this is where we had to, we can start bringing possibly other things in here. I know it seems obvious and you probably have it written down, but for those that didn't notice it, did you notice what was the scene where he goes and visits her and to the moment, the moment that he leaves, did anyone else notice what, what was unique about the scene? Nobody says a word. Nope. Oh, there's there's nothing. Nobody says anything to each other. It's just all conveyed through looks violence she comes at him with a knife everything there's nothing said and i'd never spotted that before but i was like nobody said anything to each other she's he's forced his way into the door she's run off he's you know he's done this she's kicked him all this sort of thing but because she's got the knife and he takes the knife he he holds onto the knife puts it on the side and walks out um and then you know you've got you've got that knife there. We'll talk about that in a moment uh, and why that would be relevant. But who wants to go and talk about the final scene? Because I just think now we are in pure Hollywood eighties territory. Well, after that fight, he tells the police, doesn't he? Yeah, I just said he told the police, and that's where the police says, you know, what happens when it's not out of the system, and yeah, yeah. What about the final scene? It's just pure eighties. It's 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 a perfect. It's a it's it. The whole thing, the bath running, the kettle boiling, yeah, everything to do with that. It's perfectly done. It's building up to the crescendo, isn't it? I would have liked to see it in the theaters just to see people's reactions. Oh, mate, we everyone was just especially. I mean, you know, for those people that that know how films are done, when she when she wipes the window. She, sorry, she wipes the glass the of the thing and then then she sees yeah you're gonna know that that's if where, where she's going to appear the way that she's standing yep <laughs> she's going to appear there but it's still a surprise and it was shocking people were you know they were outraged um by uh by it because it's just it was so visceral that bit you've just had the michael douglas scene you just had the you know the bit where he's gone to a flat this mm. is the next level. Everything's everything's sorted. Why they didn't get police to come and protect them? Why didn't they hire something, knowing that she was still out there? I don't know, but I, I think Hitchcock would have loved this movie. Yeah, yeah, I th- and that's high praise, Joe. I think definitely. Did you notice as well? He was locking the doors on the inside, but she had already got in at that point. So like scream, basically. Um, look, uh, you know, I hate to be the contrarian amongst us, but um, I, I didn't like the ending. So, you know, really interesting. Because I think we're all aware that there's an alternate ending that was originally filmed and that the one that we all watched when we watched the movie is actually reshot uh, based on audience feedback. Um, so do, you to descri- do you want to describe, actually, what was in the original ending, how it went? Uh, before we do that, let's do the one that oh. we... Seeing oh, okay. the film first, oh, okay. and then we'll yeah, come so, back to yours, Dom. This yeah. is the one. The three of you think is a, the is a strong ending. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so, so, so go on then. What, what do you three run with this 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 one? No, I, I mean I like this ending. I've seen yeah, the alternative. I like mm-hmm. this ending because it's more of um a moment. It, it's more of um 
a movie moment, I would say. And it finishes on a, oh my God, <laughs> kind of, it's yeah, it's but if we just yeah, but if we're just talking, if you want to bring up the the, the name, you know, the use the name of Hitchcock, Hitchcock would probably have preferred the other ending. Oh, I don't know, I don't know. When she's like literally, you think she's like been drowned, and then she just literally comes out of the bath, well, and that, then gets shot by the wife. Let, yeah. let me read you. Um, let me read you Roger Ebert's end. I, I don't. I won't. Oh, I didn't get this. This would be yeah. This is good. This is Roger Ebert's review of uh, or the, the end of the, of the film. So, this point of view. So, Rick basically really likes the film, but doesn't like the ending. And uh, from a little bit earlier, so he says the movie does not explore any of these avenues, although the filmmakers clearly have the intelligence to do so. Instead, the last third of the movie collapses into pathetic melodrama. The big scene of truth between Douglas and Archer is shortchanged and feels unfinished. There is a pathetic sequence in which Close captures their daughter and stares her with a roller coaster ride, or a frantic archer gets in a car crash and breaks her arm. Give me a break. And then there is the horror movie conclusion, complete with the unforgivable Friday the 13th cliche that the villain is never really dead. The conclusion, by the way, operates on the premise that Douglas cares nothing for his unborn child. Honestly, I, I thought you have this movie which is really interesting, you know, elements of what I thought was Woody Allen, you know, well observed, well directed, well edited, and then it and then it just felt for me like they just packed on a um, a very stereotypical um, Hollywood and you know a gory thing to pander to the audience's desire to see Glenn Close punished in, in that way. And I thought the alternate ending, if I can get onto that, which is where yeah. Yeah. Um, Glenn Close commits suicide in, in a very brutal, visceral way by slicing her own throat, but with a knife which crucially has Michael Douglas's fingerprints on from mm. the when they encounter previously in her apartment, he's then um, arrested and led away by detectives. And we see uh, his wife playing a tape, which presumably is going to then be the crucial piece of evidence that, that gets him off. But it's not all spelled out. There's kind of things that are implied and the audience is left to do some thinking I thought was much more um, uh, fitting with the rest of the film. And indeed, you know, was obviously the originally intended ending, which was uh, audience feedback. So, totally get the point. The th- Alison, loud and clear, the three of you prefer the ending we saw, as did theatre audiences in, in the US. But for me, you know, much more kind of um, interesting ending, I thought, was the ambiguity of the uh, the alternate. Yeah. The, the original ending that was filmed but not used, um, I actually thought when she found the cassette tape and she started playing it and then heard it, in my mind, I'm like, is she going to destroy the tape? So there's actually no Oof, evidence. Crikey. Uh, now I, I, what I was thinking, because I had a bit of anxiety watching it, is I yeah. thought, that's Beth, and that was my wife Beth. She'd inadvertently record over it, and she'd be like, oh, which button is it? Oh, no, wait a minute, I'd record it over it, and then, then I'd be doomed to doing life sentence on the basis she got. <laughs> does, does Beth, does Beth listen to the podcast? <laughs> yeah, well, she... You're in, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> Right. It all relies on Beth being able to use the tape recorder technology to get me exonerated. Oh, brilliant. Guilty, Your Honour. I'll try and get off on a guilty plea. Yeah. I think I'm doing that. It did run through my mind. Is she going to destroy the tape so she gets her revenge on him for him being yeah. a... Yeah. Amanda, I, I told yeah. Charlie that. I, that's exactly what I told him. I thought it would have been a better ending if she did have the tape. Because it's a bit of a twist then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That would have been... Yeah, well... Yeah, that's how I would have liked that ending better. But if it ended that way, where it's just like I've got the evidence, yeah, you know? it's all a bit twee, isn't it? Yeah, but if she was like, 
you know, this woman kidnapped my child. I almost yeah. died. Who's, who's you know, just old... because he wanted to get laid, you know? Yeah. And he, and he it's hid the this ultimate all. revenge, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, yeah. destroying the tape, although that wasn't in the ending, to, to actually then get your husband, who you loved and adored, who actually turns out to be a bit of a knob, uh, to uh, get him locked up. He's quite the knobhead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at little crikey. Yeah. Steady on there, Dick Van Dyke. We don't want any of that on this Quite the knobhead, almost like. <laughs> the hell was that? Are you auditioning for the Dick Van Dyke show? I, I was, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Or Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda, who thinks he's like got a great accent in Mary Poppins. Oh, Spoiler yeah. alert, it's rubbish. <laughs> still. But it's still not as bad as the worst accent ever put on t- uh, ever put on celluloid, which is Joe. The worst British accent. We discussed it many times. Don Cheadle in Ocean's Eleven. Oh my goodness! Oh, and rewatching Frasier, Anthony Lopaglia playing Daphne's brother. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, while we're just on the ending, uh, just before we go to the scores. Uh, from trivia because I don't think I'll have any trivia because I think we've done, we've done it all. Done it all. I've interweaved it unless anybody else has some. Oh, look at you, might not even have to pray. Look at us, actually. You know, some of the ideas do work. Uh, <laughs> the decision to reshoot the ending garnered mixed reactions from the cast and crew. The director initially disliked the idea but agreed to it after a Paramount executive offered him one and a half million. Oh, no, I would have done it. <laughs> when I, when Anne Archer. <laughs> To a bigger house, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, you the, it's the Michael. You want me to make it a musical? I'll yes. make it a musical. <laughs> it's the it's the Michael Caine. Did you did you ever watch Jaws of Revenge? No, but I, I do like the house it paid for. Um, that's great. Jaws of Revenge will have to be done at some point. We will have to get there, but not this season because um, I know all your films and the others. You don't know their films. Uh, when Anne Archer learned of the news, she was flabbergasted and immediately burst into tears. Glenn Close was staunchly opposed to the idea and even refused to take part in it. Uh, according to co-producer Sherry Lansing, uh, Glenn Close felt sympathy for Alex and fiercely resisted cliches about another female psycho. Michael Douglas, on the other hand, had no objection and felt that the reworked ending would help make the movie successful. Close and Douglas got into an argument over the ending, after which time Glenn Close contacted William Hurt who finally convinced her to participate in the reshoot. So there you go. There's a lot of no. conversations. I thought you were going to say they got in a fight and she stabbed them. <laughs> <laughs> so can, do you think, I think we've done a lot. I think it's about the right sort of, we wanted to keep it to an hour and a half. I know you like us a little bit more. We didn't give our ratings though. We are going to do the ratings in a moment. Just before we do that, um, I want to, I'm, we're going to trial. Uh, I, I've got permission from the, uh, the estate of Bobby Wigan, uh, who did a lot of interviews uh, in the 80s with all of the movie stars. For those in the UK, a sort of Graham Norton without the camp, but she was very precise. She wanted to, that's, that's, you know, I've seen her interviews. I liked it. Uh, I like the fact that when Howard the Duck came out, she still did interviews with Leah Thompson and Thomas Dolby. So I was like, I like you. I'm going to start watching this. So we're going to start doing a little, compend, you know, like a supplementary thing whereby we'll have a look at what some of the actors said about the particular things that we discussed on, on this. So expect that in about a week or so's time. 
because that that's something that I'll I'll be doing. If any of the others, if you'd like to jump on, by all means, you know we can do. But I know it's hard to try and schedule the podcast. The other thing, just before we go to the scores and then go to the all important draw for the next film, weird elephant is Dom. You have to justify why you think an eight part series of Fatal remake of Fatal Attraction is justified in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I think for the reasons that we've heard on this pod today, that there are there's a, con- a set of contrasting views about the film. I think there's ways they could have taken it, other, other interpretations. I think the sexual politics 40 years later is well worth having another look yeah. at. So, yeah, you, want, you want more sexy, steamy uh, sort of uh, <laughs> scenes, do you, Dom? I do, yeah, yeah. This now time, you're past your teenage years. I need to do <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of places you can go to. Down, by the way, instead of having to watch that series, <laughs> I really want them to explore the theme of consent uh, amongst uh, men and women. Consent. You know, okay. that, yeah, yeah. So look, I, I think it, I, I watched the first episode. They make the wife less attractive. That's a good start. Uh, Joshua that, Jackson, uh, uh, Amanda Peet is his wife. Yeah, less yeah. attractive uh-huh. than um, Anna Archie. Yeah. Amanda Peet. Oh, I don't okay. know. She was are. very attractive. I, I didn't see her in the show. Yeah, but she um, is. But Dom, isn't this based on the alternate reality or the alternate or yeah. the original ending? Which I think is telling, yeah. So they use the original slash alternate um, yeah, ending as, as the jumping off point for this this reboot. So yeah, so after one episode, I thought it was it was pretty decent and uh, I probably you know, would watch a second episode. That's my, but, so it, my it, ultimate it, they, can only, they can only make one season, though. Well, I think like anything in Hollywood, if it's profitable, they'll find a way, won't they? So does it take place like once he's <laughs> he, he's released from prison? Yeah, so it starts. So mostly it's in um, yeah. So he's released from prison uh, in the modern day, uh, and, he, and he's trying to rebond with his daughter. Um, but a lot of it's shot in flashback to the an updated version of, of the actual film. So the um, Glenn Close character is played by a more attractive woman who works in victim support. He's still a kind of a high flying lawyer who misses out on a judgeship. So they they. Yeah, the basic premise is faithful, but then they go take it in a different direction. I mean, they've got to spin it over eight hours worth of um, TV, haven't they, as well? So, mm. so did you watch it, Charlie? What did you yeah, think? Yeah, I did. I wasn't. I, I, I'm not impressed. I, 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 I did toy the idea of doing a spin-off podcast, which is get your own stuff um, instead uh, a swear word for stuff. Um, but I'm just keeping it clean on this podcast. If if the stuff that you're writing and the stuff that you're doing isn't landing. Don't start nicking from the eighties, and <laughs> and do it uh, and making a brand new thing. I get you, Dom. I get the fact that you know you'd like to maybe see it through a you know a, a, a current lens and how people see it. The current lens at the moment ain't brilliant. The way that people are interpreting things. We've all had conversations with each other about this plenty of times. There are things that should just be left alone. Um, there's been so many fatal attraction ripoffs recently. There was that one with Hilary Swank that we watched, where, uh, and again, I'm at, uh, I watched with you, Amanda. Uh, we watched it on Netflix, uh, where she was obsessive uh, towards him. The the uh, to the black guy, I can't remember his name. He lived up in the mountains. He was very successful, and you know he had a, an affair with Hilary Swank. Now it's gone in one ear and out the other with you, and I don't blame you because it wasn't very good. So what did they sure do? Sure, I actually did watch that. Yeah, we watched it together. Yeah, yeah, oh. we watched it together. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? They go, oh, we're making rubbish. 
So what we need to do is nick from the past and make that rubbish as well. And it's we've got so many examples of when this has happened now that this is getting tedious. Hmm. Now, I I am willing to be wrong, Dom, that the second episode might get better. Um, I know there's four episodes out at the moment, so maybe I need to to watch it. But I'm I'm just oh, I might get on the soapbox, but yeah, it's just. Go on, let's it. do scores. Yeah, let's do scores. So, uh, well, I'll go first. Uh, I think this is very well made, very well directed, acting, writing, everything iconic. I'm going to give it a strong eight. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to go with a ten. I am shocked. I'm not going to go. To, I've got I've got okay. films that that will be a ten. I think mm-hmm. in this, but yeah. Uh, who, who wants to go next? Dom, should we go round in that way? There's a lot I like in this film. Michael Douglas's performance, the uh, way it evokes 1980s New York, the portrayal of family dynamic, but a couple of major flaws which can't be ignored. Glenn Close's casting and performance and the ending. I've I've added a half point to my review after listening to everyone on the pod today, so I'm going to score it a 7 out of 10. Right. Okay. Uh, I think Joe should go next because he only watched it five days ago. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I enjoyed it because, again, when you look at the crap that we get nowadays, it's nice to see a good movie for a change. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said, I think it was well done. It was well acted, well directed, well written. Um, I was kind of surprised at how we tore this movie apart, uh, that it didn't affect my rating. I'm still going to give it uh, a strong eight, like Charlie. Oh, oh. nice, Joe. Wow. Nice. Okay. This is the, Dom, you were right. This is a good opener. This is a good good film to open with. So, uh, not that there's anything riding on it, but drum roll. Oh, I'm pip. Three. No, not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a seven. I would have scored it higher, but only because of things that we've discussed, because I think there was more to Alex's character that we should have seen. So for me, that's why I haven't scored it higher. Because you needed that backstory. I wanted more of a backstory because otherwise it just makes her look I like a complete that's a psycho. And I don't think that would have been real after a 24, 48-hour relationship. That's the bit I have a difficulty with. So it's a seven because it was an entertaining film. Okay. Excellent. So it scored quite well then from all of us. Yeah, it did. Got an average of 7.5. Yeah, it's good. Come up with a nice average, too. Yeah, 7.5 average. Well, it's now top of the leaderboard until I can go back and do all the others in that mm-hmm. way. Um, that actually yeah. fits with the um, the two scores that we take. The, the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, 75% and 72%. Look at that. Look at are we are, are we in touch, the zeitgeist? Um, speaking of uh, quality films, and obviously we started with a quality film uh, in that sense. We have oh, a, we have everybody's everybody's that the hat of the hat of plenty. I I I can say that the the large majority of these films are we're going to have so much, so many good times. I'm, can I just applaud all of your succession selections, apart from your one of yours, Joe. Which you're going to inflict upon us, and I don't know why. I don't know what I ever did to you. <laughs> it was lucky, it was that bad. Roll but if roll I'm saying dice. that, and I'll I, discuss and I, it when we, when, if we ever reach that, I will. But I'd be quite it. happily to put Jules' revenge on all of you, and then you all mm. moan and then go. Oh, you can't have believe- six films. I haven't picked. 
you allowed six? No, you can't have six fills. You've got five. No, no, no. I said I, I would happily inflict. I haven't picked it. I would happily inflict George the revenge on all of you with delightful glee, and we'd have a good time because there's so many. It's wrong with that. We'd end up just having a good laugh about it. The one that <laughs> Joe's picked. Yeah, not so sure. <laughs> anyway, Go right. Ahead, roll the drums. Okay. Look. So sorry for those for those listening. Uh, there is a. I am doing this as fairly as I can. And it is you, Don, that goes next. So we go with, just so that you know it's all above board, The King of Comedy. Oh. With Robert De Niro. That was me too. Yeah, it wasn't me, it was Joe. I thought it was you. No, no, it was me. Oh, Dom, I thought that was you, man. I I do apologise. Yeah, Joe then, King of Comedy. You took the wind right out of my sails. I was hoping I was going to be the first one. It's like, damn it. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, then, I've been but now I can sales. go. Yeah, it's me. I yeah. knew it would be me. <laughs> this isn't the film that you were talking about, then. No. Okay. No, I, th- I think I, I think this, it's a brilliant film, but it's uh, a. I've jo- never watched it. Joker is a complimentary film to it. Yes. Is that why you picked it? Yeah. No, oh. I just I I, I thoroughly right. enjoy it. I I think it's a it's a good movie. I've watched it several times in the last couple of years. It's just, I think it's Scorsese. It's Martin Scorsese. It's all you need to say. Yeah, that's true. Nice. Ooh, Fair play. That. There you go. Right. I'll be in the so... same position as you then, Joe, because I've never seen The King of Comedy. So, uh, and you'd never seen Fatal Attraction. Can I just put my hand up? I haven't seen The King of Comedy. Oh, you, you guys done? are in trade. I have, yeah. And I think it's a great choice for uh, this pod. I think it's okay. Will... Stimulating the debate, and um, yeah, obviously the parallels with the Joker will, will be interesting to explore too. Wow, yeah, definitely. Good nice. choice, then, Joe. Nice. Mm. It's a start. I, I, as I say, I like all of your choices, and I'm genuinely looking forward to some of the ones that are coming. Not just mine, um, but yeah, genuinely looking forward to it. Right. Well, I hope you've liked the, the new format of the podcast. I hope you like how we do it. We didn't have trivia time. We didn't because we weaved it nicely in. If only it could go that smoothly the next time. But I'm sure it will, uh, with Joe at the helm. Because what we're going to do is, um, Joe will, uh, whoever's film it is, will be the host, you know, leading the podcast in that way. So, yeah, it will be over to you next, Joe. Um, so, on that note, hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, do find us at uh, uh, the website, rustedjunkpodcast.com. Um uh, rusted junk on facebook go search for that search for the same thing on instagram uh we are going to start posting a lot more there uh i hope you like our youtube shorts for those that are listening on youtube we're going to be posting a few more of those um and as i get the swing of things i'm actually going to do it myself rather than asking somebody nicely to do it for don't me don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to subscribe that would be lovely if you wouldn't mind anyway <laughs> i'm going to say thank you thank you to to all of you uh for the podcast and i'm going to say cheerio I'm going to find myself some after some to slap on, and I will be, uh, yeah, see you all soon. So. <laughs> it's our first hot day in the UK. Oh, I'm going in the hot tub now. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you. Cheers. Pep. Bye.